So welcome back to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by Midpack Runners. For Midpack Runners, I'm Thane. And I'm Anthony. And quick warning, this podcast contains some fairly detailed descriptions of operations and injury damage. Because we're going to talk about Thane's knee and all that's been going on with it in basically the last five years. This is Runners on Trail. Episode 33. So welcome back to Runners on Trail. And in this episode, we're going to talk about Thane's dodgy leg. My left leg. Your left leg. My Not knee the... in particular. Yeah, I mean, some people might say both your legs are dodgy. <laughs> but particularly dodgy is your left knee. And we're going to talk about how it became dodgy mm-hmm. and what you've done to undodge it. Yes. And it's a story that goes back over several years. I Nearly five years now, I think. Definitely four, yeah. Well, I'd say it started really uh, spine 2019. Yeah, so that wasn't the start of the incident, but it was the last thing preceding the incident. So I I did the spine in January 2019. Check check out other podcasts for for the details. The the awesome Jasmine Paris win. Yeah. And from that, I had stiff legs. And I had unsurprisingly, (laughs) it's a long way. But I hadn't done any real sports massage before that point at all. And I just kind of thought, oh, well, you know, it'll get better over the next couple of months. But the knees were still, uh, legs were still stiff. Anyway, started having a sports massage. And by the way, I'd thoroughly recommend that anyway, just as a general maintenance thing for people who are running. If you can afford it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if not, foam roller is the self-torture way of doing sports yes, massage. So yeah. not quite as good, but definitely worth doing. Uh, yeah, quite often you can't tell what that your legs are stiff until you actually get a massage and you realise how. But anyway, um, so that took several months to sort out. Um, really about kind of like four months. And then the actual incident itself all started from a gardening incident. The famous. <laughs> famous and, gardening and, and incident. In some ways, very amusing. You know, how, how to injure your legs if you're a runner. Gardening. Yeah, it's never it's never doing the sports, is it? It's always some innocuous thing that just happens. So the story was that I was heading across to America for business and in my old house I used to have quite a long garden. It was all basically grass, but there was an under underground stream that kind of went through a culvert. So it's quite kind of quite wet, damp garden. And the grass used to grow prolifically long. I had to cut it at least every week or every other week. Otherwise, it just got out of control. It was crazy the amount of grass I had to cut. Anyway, I was just had to go to America. And when I came back, I, had, I was then doing the almost immediately the Kennet and Avon Canal race. I booked in. And just before I was going to kind of the day before get my flight, I thought I've got to cut the grass before I go because I hadn't cut it for two weeks. And if I leave it another week, it's going to be hellish. So... I quickly thought, crikey, I hadn't scheduled that in. So I quickly got out and mowed the grass. And the gra- it had been wet. It was very, um, yeah, wet grass. And I'd taken the bins out the back garden. So I was like, you know, I'd cut like five strips of grass and then throw it in the, um, into the, straight into the bin. And what happened was I put the bin, I thought the bin was on the left-hand side. And this is very specific. <laughs> but, but I put it on my left-hand side. I pulled the big box of grass off the back of the lawnmower. And in my head, as I lifted it up, and because it was all wet, it was really kind of quite heavy. I thought the bin I'd had, the lid, obviously the lid open, was on my left-hand side, but it was actually further round. 
And as I rotated, my feet were in the long grass. They didn't really swivel at all. And I kind of went, oh no, it's further round. It's further round. And I kind of rotated rather than just 90 degrees with this heavy weight, like, I don't know, 120 degrees or something. And as I did that, I then felt this twinge in my knee. I thought, oh, that's not good. And I thought I might have just pulled something, but I didn't, there was no, there was no, nothing obvious other than that to start with. I thought, oh, that was a stupid thing to do. Why did I do that? It was literally like a half second thing. That's all it was. So anyway, finished cutting the grass, got on the flight early the next morning, went across to America. But I'd already starting to notice that when I sat down, like on the flight, and then I got up, my, my leg was stiff. Whenever I sat down for like, just like, you know, 10 minutes to have a cup of coffee, what in the kind of like flight lounge kind of thing, my my leg was stiff getting up. And I thought, God, I really have done something. But again, I still thought I just kind of pulled the knee. When I was over there, I bought a new set of shoes for the, um, some, some hokers for the actual canal race, because it was obviously quite a flat race. And I wanted something with a bit of cushioning. And I went out for a test run and I literally got a hundred yards out of the hotel and my knee was in pain. And I only managed like 800 yards on this run. And I told the guys in America, I was doing this trail run. And yet I was the one getting up from the desk, really struggling. It looked really silly. So anyway, I was getting more concerned, and but nonetheless, I was going to be running part of the at the start of the race with a guy I knew from from the spine actually, who came and stayed at my house the night before, and I did that trail run. I didn't complete it, but un- but surprisingly, I managed 115, 120 miles. I think of the 145, I was the last one to pull, and I don't think my knee was the major issue, but I obviously was contributing a little bit to that one. I think only a third finished that race. Um, it's quite warm but anyway that was the kind of the starting kind of that was the kind of like the week and a half of where the incident happened and I'd realized I had a had a problem yeah and then I guess over the next couple of years because of course we went from 2019 into 2020 with lockdown and all of the sort of strangeness that built into running and people not running properly or people running on their own and people not being able to get services like sports massage in the same way as they had them before. So I guess that must have extended out the uncertainty time, at least yeah. with that. So what happened was when I got back, I went and booked up a, a session with a osteopath to look at the knee. And he had a good manipulation of the knee. And he said, well, actually, your left knee is a bit, bit loose. And I think you've done your MCL. So, you know, in your ligaments, you've got the ACL that goes through the middle, yeah. haven't you? You've got the MCL. On the the CL stands medial. for cruciate ligament, doesn't it? But then yes. that, it's anterior medial. Yeah. So, so in the body, when they're talking about this stuff, they talk about it being inside or outside. And medial means on the inside. Right. And what's the other word you said? Is it anterior? Yeah, that's on the outside. Yeah. And then you've got a word for front and back. Because obviously the, the body is symmetrical. So that's how they name things. So the media crucial ligament's the one up on the inside of my left leg. And he said, I think you've torn it. That's going to take like six months to sort itself out. He says occasionally that could have damaged something else inside. But I think as far as I can tell, it's just your MCL on the inside. So I had to rest it up for a few months. Obviously, I'd, 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 when I got back off spine, I was so keen on trail running and stuff. I'd booked like eight races that year. Yeah. And after Kent and Avon, I then had like another two or three, but I had to just cancel them because I had to rest it up. So uh, I started after a few months to do some fitness work down with with a trainer a trainer i'd used previously so where are we now we're in the autumn now no no so yeah yes it must have been it must have been um yeah and i was in 2019 yes yeah but even then this is like a few months after i'd done it when i when i was going through exercises with him this is like four months afterwards or so he was he was kind of like 
it was still hurting and and or or I had weakness in the knee let's put it like that and we concluded at that time that it was actually probably my brain that had been overprotecting the knee because sometimes when you do an injury to start with you're you know it's the actual pain your brain kind of backs off yeah putting force through that thing and sometimes it takes a while for your brain to get used to actually putting the full load back and through. trusting that it can hold it yeah yeah so we kept doing the training not not excessive it just, it just didn't do any harm or damage to the knee but nonetheless i was still wasn't up up to strength by which time a couple of things had happened well one of them was i got through to utmb i got my my place through it was a second time of trying through there because i had enough points and I was going to be doing that in 2020, August, yeah. September 2020. And then lockdown, as you say, happened. So even though it wasn't right, like six months later, I was like, right, okay, well, lockdown's happened. It still needs more time. I've now got time to give it. So actually, I bought. A, uh, I was thinking of getting one anyway. I bought a bike trainer because I said, you know, cycling will help strengthen your knee. So yes, I was one of those people that went and got a bike trainer during the start of lockdown. I basically put in that in my lounge and, and rode and decided I, I use Zwift, which is really cool for cycling on. So like a virtual world. Um, I know it sounds to people who might not have tried it like really awful, but actually it's a really good training aid. Well, I think it's a lot better than just sitting on a turbo trainer with nothing in front of yes. you, just cycling, which yeah. I've tried to and just can't because it's just far too boring. And it's every time I use Zwift, I use it a lot. Um when you see other people, you know that those are all real people on trainers at home. I, I, quite often, I always start up saying, "I'm not gonna, I'm gonna take it easy this time." And as soon as people pass you, you're like, "No, I'm gonna take them back." Do you know what I mean? You just can't help but just end up kind of putting in quite a lot of effort. So anyway, got well into that, did thousands of kilometers on there, um, lots of climbing and stuff, um, and that just kind of persisted like that um, for about a year. Because yes, we were in and out of lockdown stuff. Obviously, with COVID, my UTMB place because they cancelled UTMB. Yeah. Even though I was still kind of recovering, I was still hoping to do 2020. But I know we had lots of discussions because with all these knees injuries, was I actually going to be strong enough to actually do UTMB? And it was really touch and go. And get the it? most out of it. You know, if, yeah. if, you're, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna do UTMB and don't think you're gonna try and get into it every year, then when you do do it, you want to do, yeah. do it as best you can, don't you? Yeah. So through the summer, I know we had the kind of lockdowns for a few months and it was still looking like it was on at that time. And I think I was only going to do one event prior to UTMB with the previous year basically not doing anything. We discussed it quite a lot, you know, privately. And I was still up for giving it a go, um, even though it would have been a sub-level performance probably. But anyway, it all got cancelled anyway. So um, then that was deferred and you had to do then UTMB within the next following three years. You've got to kind of a pass to do it on one of those ones if you qualified in 2020. Right. So we're now in September 2020. UTMB's been cancelled. Mm-hmm. What did you then do? So I carried on doing more Zwifting. Okay. Um, cycling, not running. Cycling. So you can run on Zwift as well. Yes, yes, you're true. Yeah, I had previously done a bit of that. But but yeah, I was cycling on Zwift. And the symptoms now, my, my, my leg strength, you know, was reasonably good. I still thought I was recovering from it. But there was one notable problem, which I was getting knee collapses. And so you're literally walking along and then your leg gives out. Yes, you? normally when you step up and, you know, I'm sure some listeners have, have had this before. It's a really weird sensation. Basically, you go to step up onto something and your knee just totally gives way. It seems, In which direction does it give way? It collapses you, you, down. 
So it, your knee, knee collapses forwards. Yes. It doesn't collapse sideways. No, no, it collapses, so it collapses forwards. forwards. Right. So you go to put weight on it and it's almost like someone's taken away like 75% power out of your leg. Right. So, but there's no pain involved. It just, you go forward, you put weight on it and it just gives, it just yeah. goes down. And then you get back up, you, you kind of push yourself back up and you go, well, that's a bit weird. And then you just carry on up the steps as if there's no problem at all. And I was having this, like, getting in and out of cars. I'd go up and down steps, and on the third time, maybe it would just collapse on me or something. It's just completely randomly. A couple of times a week, it would just give way. No pain involved, nothing else, just a weird sensation. It's just like someone's taking control of your leg. And, and just what does it feel like power. in the knee? You can't feel anything no, in the knee no, at nothing. the time? Okay. It's just very strange. It's one of the... Uh, one of the three symptoms around having kind of the the damage I ended up having in, in my in my knee was you have get like locking, popping, and then knee collapses. So, right. so locking is when your knee locks out. Yeah. Popping is when you when you're moving and it just goes. You know, it's obviously like a noise or a crunchy sound. And the other one is knee collapsing. So I had the knee collapsing, and occasionally I had knee locking. But that's if I say I was kneeling down to do some DIY and I stood back up, and Two out of three times, it'd be fine. And the third time I'd get up and I couldn't, I was really struggling to straighten my leg. As if you hadn't learned from the gardening incident yeah. <laughs> doing DIY. So, so and you go, oh, it was a bit weird. And you just shake it a little bit and, and, and move around for like 15 seconds. And then it would be kind of fine to walk on. You think, oh, it was a bit weird. What was that? Why was my knee locked out? Because you're, you, you clearly shouldn't be doing DIY, any sort of activity. Your body doesn't like it. So I was going back to see the osteopath couple of times and, and and over that time over like a year and you know now we were in kind of like post lockdown this is like almost like a year later he's going well i can't i can't find anything wrong with your knee i think it's fine i think you know it's your brain this that and the other i, I you know there could be a chance of something wrong but i honestly can't feel anything so anyway it was just kind of like you know get on with it kind of thing so i booked six races in 2022 now because we've gone on through 2021 yeah still you know through uh, and in this time 21 we're still locked down in and out yeah and so in this time how much running if anything are you doing not much i i know we used to you know you and my brother used to jive me quite a lot about oh you need to get out running more and i was doing some running but not doing much and i think subconsciously i knew i was getting these collapses and i was being cautious of my knee and what was wrong with it so right you know you were right to say that i wasn't doing enough running training it's that two bits, isn't it? You know, if, if you've got an injury, you need to get over the injury and then you need to build back up to strengthen what you're doing to get out of it. And I think our view was that surely you must be better by now, right? It's been years. Yes. And so you need to start running on it to strengthen it. But your natural instinct, which is completely understandable, was to protect it and therefore not run on it so much. Yeah. And our view was, well, that's just going to make it weaker. And your view is like, was... No, if I run on it now, it's just going to go wrong again. So it, I think they're both very understandable yes. thought processes. Yeah. And I think it was my, you know, it's one of those listening to your body things. So I was running, but I knew it kind of wasn't right. And I thought, you know, and I was kind of agreeing with you in the end. I've, I've protected this so much, you know, with lockdown in the middle and everything else. This has been nearly like two years now, I, you know. So I booked six races, didn't I? Yeah. Um, I had an initial kind of like, um, I think it was like a 100k race. And then uh, and then I did the Dales Highway, which is 90 miles. The Dales Highway was the last episode we did. The first race of the year I couldn't do. I had COVID. I just had to pull out of it. And then, yeah, I did the Dales Highway, which is fine. But I was notably cautious of my knee going down. So whenever I was going down hills, I was the one who was kind of like, 
only putting partial weight on my left knee when I was going down. You know, I, I was fitness limited. That wasn't a thing. <laughs> why, why I probably, you know, uh, was kind of slower than I would have liked to have been. But nonetheless, you know, there was still definitely something there. The crunch point came though, when I was still getting these knee collapses, I know I wasn't quite right. And then I was still Zwifting on the bike trainer at home. I'd noticed my power level was going down and not the amount of power I could put through my legs. I would get up to a certain power and my left knee would all of a sudden get a really sharp pain. And the point I was getting up to like 400 watts in a sprint, 500 watts almost max on the bike during a sprint. And and that had been coming down when I suddenly get a lot of pain and getting down to the point where if I tried to go over like 220 watts or something like that, I would suddenly get a pain in my left leg. Yeah. And, and you know, for those people who don't do a lot of cycling, in terms of being able to put a max power output out, 220 is not a lot. No. You know, it, it, yeah, if you're going for a max sprint of 20 seconds, you should, people should be able to put out, most yeah. people could put out more than 220 watts. I, I think most people who've done a little bit of cycling, you know, uh, you know, have got a bike and go out regularly. You you can get up to like 200 watts just for like 10 minutes or so. You know, that's, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean yeah, I mean, and you know, most a lot of people will, will cycle at 200 watts as their standard power and just cycle forever at 200 yeah, watts. Yeah. So good cyclists can lay down like a, a thousand watts for like, you know, 20 seconds. Yeah. Chris Hoy can do like, you know, 2000 watts for like yeah. five minutes or whatever. But, but, but his thighs, <laughs> but his thighs were as wide as my body. <laughs> So, so 220 is not a lot of power. No. And I thought, right, this is, there's definitely something wrong and something's getting actually worse now. I'm still getting knee collapses. I'm getting about one a week, not two a week, but I can't actually cycle at anything relative to reasonable power without pain. So luckily had health insurance through my employer and went to see my osteopath again. He had felt around the knee and said, look, I honestly can't find anything. But you know what? Sometimes there could be more damage. So I will refer you for an MRI. A few weeks later, I went for an MRI scan and I got the MRI results back, which said... They said, your, your knee's buggered. But only a little bit. Let me find the actual text. Okay. Dear right. Thane, your knee's buggered. So I've got here the report from the MRI, which I had on the 29th of April, 2022. And it said, there is a horizontal tear of the posterior horn and body of the medial meniscus with a small postomedial paramenisical cyst. There is a small flap of displaced meniscal tissue seen just anterior of its posterior root attachment. The medical, which I haven't read this out now. The medial, the medial tibiofemoral cartilage is preserved. Intact and normal lateral meniscus, preserved lateral tibiofemoral cartilage, both cruciate and collateral ligaments appear normal. Small baker's cyst, normal patellofemoral joint congruence. There is mild chondropathy involving the inferior femoral trochlea <laughs> notch with mild subchondral marrow edema and cystic change. Normal quadriceps and patella tendons. Conclusion recommendation? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I think Come and see me as a consultant and give me more money. Yeah. So the main bit was there's a horizontal tear of the posterior horn and the body of the medial meniscus with a small... So the, the cyst is just like, it's quite often, it's like a, a scar damage, basically. Yeah. And stuff. And there's a, a flap. So basically on the medial side of the meniscus at the back, posterior, so the posterior 
medial. It's the back of the inside of the knee. There is some tears and a flap in the in the meniscus. So went for a, a consultant meeting from that and he recommended, the surgeon recommended, I have a, a knee arthroscopy, which is they go in via keyhole and basically get rid of the flap, which could have been one of the things creating the knee collapses and try and tidy up the tears a little bit. And if you leave this stuff in, the, dan- the danger is that you're just damaging your knee because there's a bit of meniscus in the wrong right, place. Right, and, that, and, and that's what I was going to ask, down. was if you didn't have the operation, what would, what would be the outcome? Yeah. That's what it is. So, so it you just can gets worse. Choose, yeah, you can choose not to have one because when you go into your knee with apparatus and stuff, it obviously causes a little bit of damage. I'd also had an x-ray then as well prior to the surgery and they said, oh, by the way, you've got a bit of arthritis in your knee. But everyone as they get old you know you've gone 50 will have a little bit of arthritis in all joints as well you know obviously you get you know damage to the the bone ends and stuff like that but it was like nothing to necessarily worry about so anyway that's where I was and that's when I went in for my first knee arthroscopy so when was that so my knee arthroscopy was in um I think it was late July 2022 right okay yeah. So, but almost 18 months ago. Yeah. So, when there, it's the first time I've ever been under general anaesthetic. I think the older you get, the more scary it gets. Yeah. I had it when I was young, didn't think about it. And then when I had it done oh, about 10 years ago, when I had a family and stuff, I found it quite nervous. I was quite mm. worried. I don't know. Because yeah. I maybe wouldn't see my family again. It's very weird anyway. Yeah. Did you have to walk into the theatre? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. It's, I found that really weird. You walk in, this is really tiny. If you haven't had an operation before, the thing you lie on is really narrow so they can get yeah. to both sides of you. It's not like a bed, <laughs> right? And you laid, laid on it and then the, the, the anaesthetist had the stuff in me within yeah. about three seconds and I was gone. It was, anyway, oh, it was really weird because they said, right, we're just putting you under. Um, they didn't say count to 10 or anything. Like 10 seconds had gone and I was still there. And they said, are oh, you still here? And I'm like, yeah. Can you feel anything? I said, well, I felt it go in and I felt a bit drowsy. And they went, hang on a minute. There's another 10 seconds. Nothing. And they're like, hang on a minute, we're going to get this and just like stuff something over my nose as well as what they've been putting into my arm. And then I kind of went, but it was very noticeable. Like, no, it's been like 30 seconds. I'm, I'm sure it was supposed to go in at like three or four. Oh, I, I went, I went in, yeah, I went in less than 10, definitely. I think it was just maybe nerves and not wanting to go under. I don't yeah. know what it was. This, Yeah, anyway. So anyway, had that operation. I hadn't realised how long it takes for your knee to recover after that. Because when they do, when they go into the knee... You see, I'd have thought you might have asked that before you had yeah, the operation. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I, I knew that I had to kind of be on crutches a bit and stuff and walking around was going to be a little, was I on crutches? No, I wasn't when after the first one, but it was a bit of a stiff knee. I think I was given some crutches just to kind of help use. But basically what you think that when you cut the skin, you kind of go into the knee uh, naively, but it's not like that. There's various layers that they've got to cut through to get into the knee. I mean, if you cut your skin off, you still wouldn't see your knee. It's under various other layers. So they've got to go through your skin, the easy bit, and then go through these other protective layers to get into the knee. And normally you've got like knee fluid in your knee, a technical term um, I've just made up, but stuff that's especially for your knee to keep it kind of lubricated. And they have to wash that out so they can see what they're doing. So they replace it with water. And then after the operation, it takes a while for your knee to put stuff in. So it's actually really stiff for like a good few weeks afterwards and you've got to do exercises to try and kind of get it back to normal and stuff like that. I haven't really appreciated that, but yeah, it's, it, you don't just kind of walk in, walk out, even though it's keyhole. Yeah. So you've had the operation. Well, yeah, had the operation, but I uh, I found out straight away after I'd come round and the surgeon, um, I was I kind of, I was read a report initially by the nurse because the surgeon, by the time I'd come round, the, it was, I was, as I was a minor op, I was like last in the day. So he would have gone, but the nurse said, yeah, 
we went into the knee and unfortunately you've got to come back probably for a meniscal root repair basically that means your meniscus isn't attached so what he'd done is gone in to tidy it up but when they went in even though it hadn't shown on the mri the meniscus the medial meniscus so for any people who don't know the meniscus is kind of like the bit that's in between your your bones so if you imagine on your knee you've basically got your what's this bit called this bone here shin shin is that a tibia foot bone? Yeah, whichever one. Bottom bone. The, the let's, one call it, let's call it your shin bone because that's The bone that connects your foot to your knee bone. Yeah. At the top of that, it's got basically like two balls on it. And then your bit from your hip down to your knee, that bone. Yeah. Um, has got, femur. Femur has got two balls on it and they're basically balancing on top of each other. That's a very unstable, it's the most unstable joint in your body. But effectively, that's why you've got your ACL, your MCL, uh, and all those other ligaments. To hold it in stability. And you've got these meniscus, which are the bits that are basically almost like gaskets inside and, inside and around those. It's basically like, it's like almost like a figure of eight, but it's made up of two bits. You've got, uh, they're attached in the middle, and it's like a curve that goes around the left ball and a curve that goes around the right yeah. ball, and they're they're attached in, uh, onto the bones. Well, which is why I, I've said quite often, I, when people say to me, I've got knee pain, quite a lot of the time it's not actually anything wrong with the knee hmm. it's to do with the tendons that are kind of holding your knee stable yes that are, aren't quite pulling in, in a balanced way and they're pulling your knee one way or the other and that's yeah. what's causing the pain the pain is nothing to do with the knee itself it's to do yeah. with the tendons that are attaching the knee yeah and actually that can be corrected really easily without any sort of surgery yeah unfortunately if things aren't attached it's never going to fix itself yeah. is it so what they concluded so i went and saw the surgeon after uh, you know the following week and he was explaining the situation. So basically, I went in there. Your medial meniscus isn't actually even attached. So I couldn't do the the, the, the repair that I wanted to do. Um, I, he said, I think he managed to cut the flap off in a couple of bits. But that was it. What I would normally do is have just taken it out. So and some surgeons still do that. If they go in and find that damage, there's nothing they can do. They basically cut out the meniscus and then your knee fails basically over the next six months to a year and you end up having a knee replacement. But I'd already been telling him, look, I'm a runner. I've had this for, you know, for a while. I'd really like to, you know, get back to running, etc." cetera. Um, so I'd, you know, <laughs> laid it on a bit in terms of making sure he understood where I was in my life. What I want to do. I was obviously 50. Um, when presented with that in surgery, he said, his first reaction, and this was in the notes from the operation, that there was a discussion between him and the other doctor who was present about whether they could go straight away to do the meniscus root repair. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't because I hadn't given permission because you need like three weight, three months of no weight bearing. You can't drive. I'd never had that. I'd never signed off that clearance. They obviously knew nothing about what I was going to be doing over the next few months. So they had no option but to close. And he says, it's the first time I've done a second operation on someone in like three years. But he knew I was a runner and this, that and the other. And he, at being 50, he didn't want to cut it out. Yeah. Um, because I need knee replacement. And basically at the moment, they say kind of a knee replacement will last 15 years and you can only have two. If you're 60, they can kind of get you to 90. Yeah. If you're 50, you can get to 80 and then you might not have use of your knee. And let's hope we get to 80, right? Yeah. Let's hope we get that far, hopefully. And yes, there are advances in how they do knee surgery and they're now using ceramics, which have got a lot of potential, but but there's not there's not enough history to know whether those are going to work in the yeah. long term. So anyway, he decided to close and that um and then he slipped into the conversation as well. Oh, by the way, when I was in there, uh, you do have a patch of level four arthritis. 
To which you go, okay. What does that mean? How many how many levels are there? Yeah. Oh, there's four. Right. And it's like, was well, four at the top or the bottom? Oh no, four is the worst. And it's just one of these things that doctors just put into conversations. And you're like, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Great. I never knew. And that's called, that was as a result of the injury? Yes, because the meniscus on this, this right-hand side of, the inside of my left knee was severed. Basically, when I was putting load on it, it was grinding backwards. Mm, so, nice. So the meniscus is there as a kind of a gasket. It's actually wedge-shaped. So if you imagine two, a ball on top of a ball, actually it's kind of, it's thin on the inside and thick on the outside of those balls. So as you're putting weight on your knee and you're bending... Rather than having a point-to-point contact between two balls, it's actually creating a wedge in between. So as you roll your knee backwards, it's transferring the load not over a point but over an area. Yeah, so that's kind of one of the, it keeps it more centralised and it it lowers the uh, the force. But yeah, it'd been grinding away. So anyway, I then had to come back for a uh, meniscus root repair two months later. Right. And so you're back under general anaesthetic? Back under general anaesthetic. This was the beginning of October. I think it's October the 3rd, 2022. Um, this was now a major knee operation. So I was like first in to surgery. It's an hour and a half to two hours to do it. And basically what they do, and they've only been doing this operation for five years. It's not experimental, but it's certainly a, Sounds lot, like of it to me. It's a lot of surgeons don't do them. <laughs> and it's the jury's still out about, you know success rates and stuff like that but there was no harm in doing it and giving it a go otherwise they and they if it didn't work they could just go back to what they really do cut yeah they couldn't fix it he said i'm just going to cut it out and then you have to come back for an e-replacement next year basically right um so they went in and what they do is they drill up so they have a device where they put one end of this device in the place where they want to reattach and the other end they put down your knee and they basically drill up through your lower leg we can't remember the name of the one between the the, the foot and your knee drill up through the bone yeah um to the point where they want to attach they then put a cord up there and they basically tie the end of that cord onto the meniscus they create a little hole where it's coming Was back it, would it in. be the tibia or the fibula the tibia i'm guessing they tibia up. yeah it's there the tibia and they yeah they drill up they put this cord up uh they create a little hole by where the meniscus is reattaching to create a bit of a blood supply right so it can kind of actually there's blood coming there because you know knee injuries take a long time to heal yeah. that's because there's not enough blood there it takes right. ages the best thing to do is break a bone because that heals really fast yeah the next thing is to do like a uh, muscle tears and stuff right. that takes like a few months and then anything to do with the ligaments is kind of like five six months right. in terms of repair times so attached to the end of the meniscus to hold it into that hole and then they put a little plate at the bottom of the where they've drilled up through your tibia a metal plate metal plate just a very small one just so they they can then tie it off put a little knot on just so it won't pull up so it's basically now mechanically held in place right um and that operation was successful Uh, uh, it didn't need to cut out the meniscus he thought it was a good repair um he said it was really tricky getting to this for this 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 particular point apparently it was compartment four this is all medical speak. He was very proud. He was telling lots of other surgeons what he had done. And this is an amazing piece of surgery. I don't doubt him, but I kind of <laughs> lost the plot on what they were kept talking about. Does uh, my knee work now? That's what you really want to know, isn't something it? Something compartment for blah, 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 blah. But I, I cannot tell you anything more about that. You have impressive knees. Impressive knees. It then had to have, and I don't know if anyone's had this, but no weight bearing for three months, although it was really... I no, remember seeing you with the full brace and all that sort of stuff on. Yeah. And- so you have... Uh, you, I couldn't put any load on it because they needed the meniscus to kind of reattach. 
So it's actually two months of no weight bearing whatsoever. And when we say no weight bearing, that means you cannot let your foot touch the ground. And if anyone's tried to do this, this is really hard. Um, I had sets of crutches on different stories of my house. I had to go down on my bottom and get up on my bottom everywhere for going up and down stairs. Basically to make a cup of tea would take me like 20 minutes because even getting around the kitchen, you've got to move your, move your cup, then go crutch a couple of places, move your cup of tea again. And I had a little rucksack, uh, like uh, we used to call it the Dora Explorer rucksack, <laughs> which had a head torch in there. Because getting up, I didn't want to get up to turn on light switches late at night and stuff. I had everything I, I needed in this little rucksack and I took it with me everywhere getting around the house. But you know, you get, it, try try just getting around your house without letting your foot touch the floor. It's bloody hard work. I tell you, at the end of it, I could have probably, I didn't try, pistol squatted on my right leg. You know, <laughs> i.e. squatting right down and yeah. standing back up. There's so much strength in my right leg and my left leg just wasted away in like a week. It's amazing how fast yeah. the muscles go. So had two months, no weight bearing on crutches all the time, obviously couldn't drive working from home and then had one month where I could partial weight bear, which means I couldn't walk on it. But if I was stood, say, at the sink, I could start to put weight on that leg. So we're now in New Year this year. So on Christmas Day, basically of 2022, which was like two months and three weeks or whatever, I decided I was probably strong enough to walk and I was just starting to walk around the house. And everyone was like, it's a miracle. He walks on Christmas Day. (laughs) And then, and then it was very gentle for the first couple of weeks until I got past, like, I think it was like the 3rd of January was officially the date and then started, you know, going outside and literally just walking around the block and stuff. I think I've got some um, Strava of me doing very small distances and stuff like that. Okay. So we're now in the early new year and you're starting to walk and stuff. At what point had you or did you realise that despite all of this, you were never, ever going to get back to doing the type of running you've been doing before. Yeah. So over, I think it was about five months after the surgery, I was getting like a monthly checkup with the surgeon, looking at the knee and recovery and stuff. And basically over that time, we had more in-depth discussions. And at the end, he said, basically, look, I'm not saying you can't run. It's your life. You can run if you want to, but I'm telling you, that I'm very high confidence this knee is going to fail. I would recommend you don't run. I'd, I'd looked at lots of videos online. There's about four or five people from America who've done like blogs having had this surgery on YouTube. And they were all advised by their surgeons in the US not to run. They said you can do not run on road at all. They said if you want to run a little bit in a park on grass and just do like a mile or something, that's fine. But any more than that, you can't. So even though a lot of these people have been blogging, have been doing lots of running and stuff like that, they were all advised not to run. And my surgeon independently was like, this is probably going to fail. If you start running again, this is probably going to fail within a year or so and you'd be having a knee replacement. So as someone who's done a lot of running and really embraced the adventure that comes with long distance trail running, how does that feel mentally at that point? Or have you almost sort of resigned yourself to that? Or also because you've been out of it such a long time, did it not... I'm going to say hurt mentally as much or did it still sting and was it still, oh my God, I can't run anymore? I had a week when I felt sorry for myself because I honestly thought I'd be able to run again and get back to more or less normal function in the knee. Well, I've got normal function now, but I, I bet, you know what I mean? I was hoping I'd get back to running. I had my, I delayed my UTMB for the max three years. So I was actually in for this year for doing it. What The race just gone. I had my place. And I, I just couldn't do it. So I was, I did have a few days where I was, um, you know, sitting there thinking, shit, 
Yeah. But, I mean, I, I can feel the arthritis in there, not horrifically, but if I leave it for like a week and I've not done any uh, exercise, then when I first get like on a bike, it's kind of a bit sore for the first 15 minutes. And I think that's because the, the bones start, when you've got arthritis, you've lost the covering of your bone haven't you? and the bone starts to grow up through and then you just have to wear it back down a little bit. Well, I guess that sort of leads us neatly on, given the fact you've just said about the bike, that what you kind of resolve to do next, I guess. Yeah. So I concluded quite quickly and I'd already been, I guess, mentally preparing myself for this might, it might be that I'm not allowed to run anymore of what I could do. And I've got a friend who does long distance cycling and I've been watching some videos of long distance cycling and some of the amazing things that happen in that sport and realizing actually it's very similar to long distance running. A lot of the challenges, sleep deprivation, having to plan your route, kind of all, all those the logistics. logistics, everything and the, the fatigue and that thing is extremely similar. And some of the events are very much like kind of trail events. It's just your mode of transport rather than running your your cycling and yeah. that's the only real difference between the two so i'd always think right if i can't run that's what i'm gonna do so i felt pretty peeved off for a few days but then i just resolved right i'm gonna pour my energy now into into cycling now rather than rather than running and actually uh, there was a, a sponsored cycle ride at work that was going to be taking place in the the summer of this year which was like 230 miles over three days i thought that was a good thing to do because it timed really nicely i got a bike on the cycle to work scheme yeah. at the end of march for the tax year very good deal for getting a bike yeah so i got a nice bike for that one and uh yeah and set out to, to just kind of go into that sport instead and divert everything well, towards that and we sat here at a day after you've just done a 300 kilometer cycle. Yeah, I just did a, a so long distance cycling. One of the more common events for that are called Audaxes or Rondoneing. Uh, and it was set up originally in France. In fact, the first Audax was the precursor to the Tour de France. Happened a few years before. Um, it's something called the, they did a ride from Paris to Brest back to Paris again, PBP. And after the success of that, a couple of years later, they another group decided to do something called the Tour de France for more kind of professional riders and stuff. And that's, so actually the history goes back a few hundred years. Yeah, I've, I've kind of gone into that, into that world. And yeah, did a, a ride, just finished what, yesterday, late afternoon, a 300 kilometer ride from Bristol down to Salisbury, Bournemouth, Pool, back to Bristol again. And that was quite cool. So now you're doing that, and we can talk about this maybe in some future podcasts, but how is that feeling? Is it is it scratching the itch, I guess? is it, Do you feel happy in that it is replacing trail running? Or is it that it's, well, it's the best I can get, so I'll do it, but it's not the same and I don't love it as much? <clears throat> A bit both at the moment. So I'm getting that, you know, I cycled through the night. It started at 10.30 at night on Friday and then was cycling all the way through till yesterday, about six o'clock or something. So... That ticked various boxes. What it's not quite ticking at the moment is the adventure box. Because you're cycling, you know, you're on roads, this, that, and the other. It's not quite the same as being running along mountain passes and stuff. The views views, aren't the same. The views aren't the same. They can be. So the thing I think I need to do to get full replacement from what I was getting from trail running is do some of the longer events that aren't really necessarily full road races, but are... More testing. So more gravel racing. More, maybe. Yeah, although you can't, it's difficult to gravel race for that far, maybe that many days. I think the days of mountain biking are well beyond the <laughs> 50. But there's some amazing gravel racing in America. Yes. That, and, and they do 100 mile gravel races yes. that are nearly 100% on gravel trails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And decent gravel trails. Because I guess the one thing that you're still not going to be able to do is 
cycle on trails in the UK where the trail gets so bad you're going to have to hike a bike because yes. that will be yeah. trying to pull your bike on one side of you with your dodgy knee sounds to me like emptying your lawnmower yes. basket again and, yeah. and you could create the same um, problems yeah I, I have to be a little bit cautious on my knee so I'm not allowed to deep squat anymore on my left knee if I because you did that a lot before <laughs> And so kneeling down on my haunches, I don't do anymore. Um, right. Basically, if I over bend the knee, there's a chance that it will pull and snap the meniscus because it's not quite in the same place as it was before. Right. And so you said, look, one thing I'd recommend you don't do is literally get down. So I can't have my my left heel basically touch my buttock anymore. So what are you doing from a physio perspective other than the cycling? Are you doing nothing? I, I have general general physio. I had it for like um, six months after. And what did that involve? Uh, that involved just full sports massages around my, my leg and my All leg. right, but they didn't give you exercises to do to try uh, to I did. It. I did afterwards for the first couple of months and stuff. What and were that they? Was fine. So it starts with, basically, it kind of gives you a schedule over like, it seems like six weeks or so of things to do. And each week it kind of increases the number of exercises and the intensity. But to start with, it's nothing more than lying on your back and raising your leg. Right. By like six inches and putting it back down again. And then similarly lying on your front and doing the same thing. Basically just other ones where you're just bending your knee up and putting it back down again whilst lying on your back. And is that to build the leg up because you've not been using it or is these specifically to strengthen the knee? They're to get mobility back into your leg. So this is more generally, you've had some kind, I think they were called like knee arthroscopy exercises. They've been into your knee. So these are things where you've had some surgery on your knee, things to do. Right. And, And things like calf raises. So just standing up on your toes and going back down again putting one leg behind you on some stairs and then just transferring your weight backwards or squatting with your good leg behind you on a stair and then just bending down like 15 degrees on your knee so basically just a very shallow squat and then taking that a little bit further and a little bit further so it's like these you know 15 different exercises and you basically do you know, to start with, you're only doing like six of them very basically. And over the time, you start to do them all. But that's just to get back from a normal person getting back to normal yeah. strength. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not, not to get back to like, you know, full sports strength. No, no, no. Understood. Okay. And then, as you said, sports massage as well. Yeah, yeah. And I was having, and I had to do those for a bit longer because I was struggling with a few of my muscles being really tight. Yeah. And in particular, the one thing I've really struggled with is just standing up. That sounds weird. But if I stand up um, for 20 minutes... Then I start to get, I was starting to get massive pains in my leg, and basically I had a few, a few muscles in my calf and also on the top of the, my leg, which were getting really tight, and therefore I've had those massaged out quite a bit, and and that's been kind of largely fine now. So I'm basically back to kind of normal. I just can't deep squat. So I guess that's the story. Yeah, that's what's been happening over the last few years now. Yeah, I guess it's worth drawing maybe some conclusions. Be what? careful when you're gardening. Be careful when you're gardening. It's always those split second decisions you, you regret. As you get older, you're not as flexible with this, that and the other. And I think you, you do take everything for granted, doesn't it? When you've got a working knee, you do not care about it at all. It doesn't even play on your mind. No, but I think another conclusion on this I, I take from this from you is research the surgery you're going to have done and talk to your consultant a lot about what you want to get out of it. Yes. Because he probably made decisions based on the conversations you had had with yes. him, that if you hadn't had, he would have done things differently that, and would have resulted in a different out, life outcome for you. So whilst, you know, it sounds silly maybe to say, make sure you invest in your surgery yourself and do lots of research. 
I suspect plenty of people would just put their faith in the surgeon. And yes. having not done that, I think that's benefited you. And I did have to fight a little bit to get that story and that message out. Reason being was, you know, I was under health insurance. This wasn't there. This was done from a cost-effective mm-hmm. basis from the from the healthcare provider. You don't get London specialist sports surgeon doing your knee under work health insurance yeah yes i know it might be more than you might get under nhs for example i don't know but effectively you are part of a sausage factory and they've got to get through as many surgeries as they can to be cost effective in delivering that service yeah and therefore when you do get time with the consultant you only get a limited time so i was always having to fight a little bit to get those extra couple of minutes in like a 10 minute meeting yeah to make sure he kind of did and i always had it down in my notes to Make sure I just make the point. And I only had a few meetings before the, you know, uh, before the second, you know, across the first and second surgery, I only had like, you know, half a dozen or less than that kind of meetings with him. So I had to kind of make those points. So yes, absolutely do that. Another thing I would say is really important as well is you think you've got something wrong with your knee and your head is telling you, you know, somewhere. It's all that feel, you know, how you, what's it called? What do you say when it's like, Intuition? Yeah, listening to your body. That's yeah. it, listening to your body. Listen to your body because it's true, you know. People saying, oh, just get running again. You'll be fine. But actually, <laughs> that'll <Me>. be you. <laughs> yeah. But you know if something's not quite right and yeah. try and get it checked out and do be that kind of slightly pushy person that goes, look, can I have an MRI, please? You know, if I paid for the MRI myself rather than doing it through work, I think it would have been like 300 quid, something like that. They don't take long to do. Maybe even a thousand, but even no, so. No, no, it's, it's less than a thousand. I think maximum it was 400 because I could see the price. But anyway, it was in that range. And I know that's a lot of money just to find. But if it's your knee and you're into sports, I would say it's well worth spending that money well, to get it out of your head that there's anything wrong. And I, I could have been on top of this. I know we had lockdown and therefore la 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 la. But I could have been more onto it straight away and going, no, I'm sorry, but there is definitely something wrong. Do you know what I mean? But I, you know, through the circumstances and the timing with COVID and everything, it yeah. just kind of extended. But definitely listen to your body. If you think something's wrong, try and get it checked out. Make sure people know that you're into sport and it's really important to your lifestyle. They're trying to give you the best life they can as an outcome. And yeah. your running and sport is an important bit of that for you. Then they will factor that into it. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say is really good is even if you can't run anymore, there's other options to get yes. your satisfaction. Yes, I think there are. And I think that's the other thing to take away, you know, as runners, you know, a lot of us feel, you know, if I couldn't run, it would be, you know, my life would end sort of thing, or it would be awful. But there are other options. You've just mm. got to open yourself up to them and realise it won't be the same, yeah. but it can still be a fulfilling experience. Luckily for me, as we've said in various podcasts, it's more the adventure for me than the running. Yeah. You know, I don't get up in the morning and go, wow, I've got to run. To me, it was just a means to an end to have an adventure. Fortunately, therefore, I can still get the adventure in other ways. Yeah. I also miss the mountains and I can't really get that. I can get it. So one of the events, for example, which is really cool and long distance cycling is called the Transcontinental, which is a race from basically the West Coast of Europe to the East Coast. Right. Maybe like a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. And that looks really cool. And they do get you up into kind of various kind of you know, couple of mountain stages and stuff like that. And, you know, an off-road in little bits as well. So there are ways I can get that. So I think rather than doing loads of audaxing, what I'm going to do is try and focus on the more adventurous kind of long distance cycling, which you, might be over a week or two. You will need to train for that thing. I will need to train. Yeah. Um, 
but anyway there, there's other ways of getting adventure and the other thing i want to do is like walking in the mountains and yeah i've recently just started getting into photography a bit and i'm thinking landscape photography is a really good motivator for kind of getting up and walking in the mountains so. and i've certainly started hiking a bit more over the last few years and really enjoy doing that and you know lightweight hiking and wild camping mm. is a great thing to do and it does feel a bit weird because you just don't feel you're moving quickly <laughs> when you're running. But but once you get, it takes me a day or so to get over that when I go away and do it. But once I've done that, I, I really enjoy that. Mm. Um, and actually, the slow pace isn't bad. Mm. And you actually can spend a lot more time looking around you when you're not concentrating on not tripping over because you're running. So yeah. that's I think too. like most trail runners, we like just being in nature. Yeah. And, you know, we live on this planet. We're not going to be living on another planet in our lifetimes, no. certainly, probably. <laughs> And, and therefore make the most of it and get out there. So that's the, it's the beautiful things that you see when you're out and the, the sun's in the right place and the clouds are in the right place and it creates that moment, isn't it? Those are the, those are the special bits I remember more than anything else. And you can still get that. Yeah. I'm still holding out a little candle. I know it sounds stupid that I would be able to do the spine race again because walking's fine. It's the impact I can't do. I can't land with my body weight on one leg. I guess though it, that that that's 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 I don't think it's likely to happen. No, I, and I I think the problem you get I've got this little tree. I know. So I guess it wouldn't be the bit at the beginning of the spine race that would probably do you in. It's that bit that we all know from running that mm. the more tired you get, your form starts to go. Yeah. And if your form went, you'd you could end up overbalancing, trying to catch it with your leg, and you'd be tired. And that's probably the the bad bit. It probably is. I'm, I'm not saying I, I ever would. I'd love that, that. That's bearing in mind I can't run. That would be. That's the only thing that might be on. But I, I know it's not going to happen. Well, but, but what you could do, for example, and then we chatted about this a little bit, is you could go out to Chamonix and fast pack the Trail de Mont Blanc over yeah. five days. Yeah. Or something like yeah. that. You could hike yeah. that, you know, 20 miles a day. Yeah. Maybe if you built your leg up enough and you felt confident enough to yeah. do it. I say I've done already done a twenty mile walk in like seven hours the other day, kind of thing. So I can that's fine. But you're you're right. If if I'm doing a lot on the knee, there is a point in any trail race, as we all know, that your knees start to hurt. And when my knees start to hurt, I don't know what that's going to if that's going to feel worse than it would normally be. Yeah, I've not got to that distance yet. Well, and if you're going to do your knee and wait ten years before you do it, because yeah, yeah. then you've got your two fifteen year knee replacements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last for a nice titanium ceramic knee replacement and well, beat bionic man you never know I might get trail running again and in ten, well it's fun, you say that I mean you know people who have hip replacements all start running again don't they so yeah it's not infeasible but it seems a bit risky to want to go for a knee replacement now yes yes it would return function but then when I get to like 75 80 and I end up being wheelchair bound I might then be paying the price absolutely <laughs> I don't want to be without use of my leg late in life if I get that far no don't none of us will put brain um so I think I've got to try and look after the knee uh, you know have as much as a endurance sport life that I can with it the way it is I can do lots of things but I can't do anything that involves running and I've now not run obviously in a year literally you know I think I might have had to jump once for <laughs> something but but that was it you know, I'm I'm not I'm not running. I'm not doing any sport which involves rapid movement. Which, of course, then brings into question what happens to runners on trail. And we'll leave that hanging until the next episode. But we're not going away, whether you want us to or not.
Runners on Trail.